Community Focus, KOYT 97.1, focusing each month on a local nonprofit. Listen in and learn more about your community. Hello, Anza Valley. I'm here today with Kevin Shore from the Anza Electric Cooperative. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Kevin and I are here to talk today about a little bit about the co-op. So for people who maybe just moved up here or um, just pay their bill and aren't really involved and don't know much, we're going to go over a little bit of co-op today. So, Kevin, when, when did the co-op actually come to our rural Little Valley? Well, uh, back in 1950, we were first incorporated, 1951 actually, and first energized in 1955. So it took about five years or so to actually uh, build the majority of the the backbone uh, of the, the distribution system and get it turned on. Wow. So it's been a while though now. How, how many years are, are Well, we this would on? be 60, I think this is 67 years coming up. My gosh. So we've been serving Anza quite a long time. Yeah, well. A long, long time. How does it work for the members? I know that members are partial owners of the, the electric cooperative. Right. Cooperatives, electric cooperatives, uh, operate under IRS rules. Uh, we're a 501c12 not-for-profit. Uh, so there are no shareholders. There's just members. So all members share and share alike in the uh, the finance uh, financial side of the the cooperative so we have good years and we have not so good years and and uh, we all we all spread the wealth accordingly uh, so the way this works is uh, since we're a not-for-profit our bottom line by law any any excess revenue is returned to the members on a on a patronage basis so the the ratio of what you get back at the end of the year is based on what you you spend during the the previous 20 years is is how we we amortize that so um over time um you you end up with a with a return on investment really so in addition to having pretty low rates in the first place we got money back at the end of the year and that's pretty i know i've been to the annual meeting and everyone's sort of you know we're excited and it seems to keep going up like we're doing well for for our return yeah the last few years have been pretty good and uh let's see what what might be some um important dates that members want to remember for the like information or meetings well this year our annual membership meeting will be held at hamilton high school in the gymnasium uh starting at 7 30 in the morning i think we start with breakfast at, at 7 30 um and that's on uh, a, uh july 21st this year Oh, okay, so July. So everyone yeah. keep that in mind. July, and it's the 21st, right. and we'll be at Hamilton High. So you guys can all come down and um, check it out and hear all about everything that the co-op has done in the last year. Um, I know you guys started Anza uh, Connect. So, connect um, Anza. see, <laughs> well, and I'm not the only one. I hear that no, everyone okay. mixes that yeah, up. Everybody so it's does that. Connect Anza, and that is uh, <laughs> internet up here. Right. Um, can you give us a little detail on why the co-op got into it and sure. you know, maybe where it's been and where it's headed? Well, five or six years ago, we uh, started talking about the, the possibilities of building a fiber optic network, mainly to interconnect all of our substations for communication purposes. You know, We have to control our equipment in real time, so uh, highly uh, accurate, very... Uh, uh, very very uh, high speed uh, connections are very important for us and very very soon after we started that discussion it became obvious that uh, one of the 
one of the big drivers of of uh, telecommunications is is internet access, and we've historically had some difficulty having uh, having good internet access here. So we started exploring the uh, uh, the concept of adding that to uh, to what we do, not only you know with with electric service, but telecommunication service as well. We realized very early on that that was going to take uh, member involvement. We had to modify our uh, articles of incorporation with the Secretary of State. Uh, we had to modify our bylaws to allow us to actually do that. So that that comes as a as a mandate by the membership. So we held a vote in uh, 2015, a special election, and we asked the members if that was something that they were interested in having us doing. That was approved by 93% of the members at the time, which was an incredible number for us. That's that's a mandate if ever there was one. Well, and in ANSA, you know, the Internet, everyone was super excited just at the thought of having any Internet right. that worked quickly. And and with AEC, we know things are usually affordable, so that was another thing. Like, we might get Internet and we can afford it. That's, that was, that's that was the whole concept, yeah. <laughs> And so we we had along the along the way we started looking at, at funding resources. Uh, you know, as a, as a not for profit, we're not wealthy. <laughs> um, we don't have a big store in the bank uh, because virtually everything that that we make goes back to the members. That's that's the way it should be, in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's the best business model I've ever come across. But uh, one thing we did qualify for and that we were very excited about uh, were, were grant funds. And we were very fortunate with the California Public Utilities Commission to qualify for the California Advanced Service Fund uh, grant program. So we built our first segment of the, the project with a, a matching grant from the, from the state. And uh, uh, the end of 2017, we completed that portion. It's called a build past. So all of the main trunks that, that run past everybody's houses uh, and businesses in the system was built. And uh, now we're we're in the in the connection phase. That last little bit there from the from the main trunk line to everybody's homes and businesses is the part that we're focused on right now. So if anybody is, you know, out there and they're still wondering, you know, when, when's it going to get to me, right. um, I'm, they can probably get the information on the website or uh, by calling Connect Anza. That's correct. Um, and in, by now, what, what would you say the percentage of coverage you have in the Valley, Anza Valley? Well, we've got about, as of this date, um, in, in uh, mid-March here, we've got uh, about 800 homes and businesses connected up and running. And I uh, believe there's about another seventeen or eighteen hundred signed up. So, um, and this is the most common call we get. Uh, the most common, if you want to call it a complaint, but it's really uh, people are anxious to get get connected, and rightly so. Uh, we've got a great service. Uh, we're offering a uh, hundred megabit per second service, uh, symmetrical. That means upload and download. All for forty nine dollars a month. Uh, no, no uh, connection charges. No construction costs. No contracts. No data limits. And uh, uh, it, it, we still have probably uh, to get the majority of everybody connected that wants to be connected. We're probably still another couple of years away from having that completed. So for everyone out there, and you know, being the squeaky wheel is not a bad thing. You know, you do get the oil eventually, but know that it is on its way, and right. we're working on it. And I know that you guys are really busy with it. So, oh, yeah. 
So, you know, if even 1,200 people, 1,800 people still to go, that's a lot of houses to connect. It is. Um, it is. We were excited at my home when we got it connected, you know, and we waited. But then once it happened, it happened fairly quickly. And, yeah. and the guys came in with the trenchers and, you know, did the whole thing. And now we're, we're super excited about having it. Oh, and well, another thing that I love about it is that on the... Um, Give me a second. The router, the router has that eight hours. So when we yes. had that last power outage, we were able to still be able to check like the ANSA bulletin board and and hear what was going on from people and the the ANSA like you know, that, that's, a, that's a great um, great feature of the system uh, that we incorporated right from the start. <clears throat> it was uh, it's still projected that uh, that will become a requirement for all internet service providers at some point. But uh, we decided to to take the extra step right up front and make that eight hour battery backup uh, just a part of the of the system right from the start and i think that really up here it really matters you know in a rural area it information does. is really important you know if we're cut off for any reason being able to access the internet without you know maybe your data ran out or whatever it is with your phone you can still be able to hop on that internet and and right. find the things you're looking for um let's see uh, do we have program? I know that we do. We have programs for low-income members, um, and people who move up here might not realize that. Uh, what would you suggest that they do, and what kind of programs are there? Well, basically, there we, we don't have, uh, at this time, we don't have a low-income rate or anything like that. Uh, it, it's been our experience uh, historically that our rates are already so low that uh, they're actually lower than most of the, the lifeline or, or care rates that are out there with the other investor-owned utilities. So, um, But what we do offer are things like the, the cooperative care program. Now, that's uh, everybody needs help once in a while of some kind or another. And uh, so what the, what the care program is, is, is our response to all of the other uh, low-income assistance programs that generally tend to be very difficult to get into or get help from. Uh, this is uh, this is a, a coordinated effort between the cooperative and the Thimble Club. The Thimble Club uh, administers the program. It's a very simple application. Um, it's it's once a year available to anybody in the service territory, any family. Three hundred dollar. Basically, it's a it's a gift. Um, it's paid for uh, through through two uh, things that we do. Uh, one is Operation Roundup, whereby uh, volunteer members of the cooperative round their bills up to the nearest dollar, and the uh, uh, the incremental change in there is is contributed into the fund for this program. Uh, the other funding mechanism, which is actually the lion's share of it, uh, what's what's referred to as as cheated uh, capital credits. So anytime we send uh, uh, capital, cre- capital credits out uh, at the end of the year and we can't find somebody and the checks come back, under state law, uh, cooperatives are allowed to uh, follow a couple of steps. And if we still can't find those folks by looking at their last known address, publishing their name in a newspaper, um, then we can actually return that money to the cooperative. And our board has decided that that's a good use for those funds. So we've we've turned quite a few of those uh, those dollars into uh, the the care program. In the roundup, is there a way that is that just done automatically, or is there a way to get involved in the roundup of your bill? Uh, there's information on our website about that as well. Okay, so that's anzaelectric.org if you want to know more about being able to help other community members. Um, and if you're struggling, just remember that that's out there and that right. it might be able to help you in a tight spot. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, emergency plans. That was my next topic that I wanted to talk about. I know that up here, um, we're really pretty consistent. And usually when we get shut down, it's not at, at our fault. It's down <laughs> further on the line. But people tend to get you know pretty worked up when sure. the power's out, which I understand. And a lot of people, if they have medical needs or oxygen or dialysis, they kind of panic. So mm-hmm. um, I know that there are steps that you can take and personally for, for responsibilities, like, say, getting a generator. But I know that earlier we were talking a bit before the show about the inverter battery. Mm-hmm. Could you do a little um, a little description of what that is? And then just to let people know, if you're curious about that, they have a sample at the co-op. So right. you can always have them come walk you through it there, too. Yeah, let me uh, preface this by saying that um, nobody dislikes outages more than I do. I can tell you that. <laughs> Not that. Um, uh, and, and we do work very diligently to uh, prevent outages uh, continuously. I mean, that's our job. Um, and as you mentioned, there are some factors that are out of our control. And uh, one of the biggest factors that's really come to light here in the last few years is the increasing threat of wildfires. So the majority of the long-term uh, outages that have happened recently are due to uh, preventative measures taking, taken by uh, other utilities, uh, specifically Southern California Edison in this case, um, to, uh, to prevent the possibility of, of wildfires. This last season was pretty bad. Well, and it makes sense. I mean, sure. we get gusts of wind up here from 60 to 70 miles an hour, and we well know the damage it can do just to your homes, your yards, cars, everything else. Right. So, you know, power lines and, and things like that would be no different. That's right. As a matter of fact, uh, the electric system is, is pretty vulnerable. You know, all of our poles and, and wires and transformers and everything else that's out on our system um, is vulnerable to, to that type of thing. And, uh, you know, the last thing we want to do is be the, the cause of a fire. So. And in a big wind. I mean, gosh, it spread so quickly. So I, I'm exactly. always back in that. I would, you know, I, as much as I don't like being out of power either, right. I would prefer that to then not only are, are you out of power, but now we're dealing with a wildfire rushing right. through the valley. So, right. so uh, <laughs> the inverter battery uh, example that we have in the lobby is very, very basic. Um, Anybody can can buy a, a, a small inverter, a 5,000-watt inverter, for example. Uh, they're widely available various places on the Internet. Um, and uh, you can very simply, even without buying a dedicated battery, I've mentioned this to a couple of folks, that um, <clears throat> you've got a nice generator sitting in your driveway. It's You open the hood, start the engine, and that battery right there will, will drive an inverter for quite some time. Um, so if you, you need power for, uh, for medical equipment, you know, uh, run your refrigerator, you know, it, it can do it. it. It just simply can do it. Uh, so we're, we're happy to, to demonstrate that, uh, that little system in the, uh, in the lobby there to anybody that's interested. See, and that's very good. People keep that in mind, too, because I know that there are, th- you know, medications need to stay cold. And, sure. Um, and there are other things that you can do, too. Um, up here, living in a rural area, you need to be aware that there can be emergencies where for a couple of days we might not have a lot of support. So if you're dealing with a situation at home where you know that that might be an issue, it'd be good to look into things like that and possibly getting maybe extra, like we talked about earlier, an extra uh, bottle of oxygen that mm-hmm. maybe if you're on the machine, at least you would have a short-term amount of oxygen on the bottle while you're trying to figure it out in between. So... Um, 
that's wonderful. Thank you, Kevin, for that. For that, because you know, I think at my house too, I, I need to. My dad has medications that need to be cold, Absolutely. and they probably can last in the fridge for that first day. But if right. we go into two and three days, then it becomes that that issue. That's so. an important point. That uh, as long as you keep the door closed on a refrigerator or a freezer, it will hold its temperature pretty well for you know, twelve to twenty four hours. And I also would like to point out, which I always tend to forget in the beginning of a power outage, is that we have a stove. Now, our oven won't work when the power is out, but you can still use the stovetop by lighting your, if you have propane, by lighting right. your, you know, your propane burners. Okay, so uh, also, let's see, we're going to be coming up on spring and summer, and mm-hmm. everyone's using their swamp coolers and their fans, and just tons of energy is getting pushed right. on the grid, and I know that we go into flex alerts. What's some good uh, tips that you might be able to give people to lower their outage? you know, lower their output, what kind of, in, you know, power they're putting out. Okay. Well, the the one thing that I would ask all members to be very, uh, very aware of is uh, uh, controlling uh, energy use during uh, peak demand hours. Uh, we've got a very limited uh, system capacity, and uh, in the last few years, we've, we've come very close to and actually exceeded that capacity a few times. Now, we've... Uh, uh, we've signed a contract for, for upgrading the capacity. Uh, it's in process. It's not complete yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we are cognizant of that fact, and uh, we're trying to do what we can to, to stall that off. But what I would ask everyone to, to consider doing is moving as much energy use off-peak as possible. Uh, typically, uh, we peak uh, during the early evening hours in the summer, 6 o'clock to about 9 o'clock uh, in the in the late afternoon and evening so anything you can do to uh, uh, take household chores and move them elsewhere in the day during the middle of the day even overnight or something like that so late late at night uh, mornings and early afternoon would be the best time to maybe do your wash and to to run you know equipment and stuff and and, you know a lot of I know a lot of people's businesses depend on that and that's not what we're referring to it's it's you know your regular things that you would be doing during the day that take power right yeah dishwashers uh, set thermostats back a few degrees you know, one way or the other, uh, if you can survive it at uh, uh, 80 degrees uh, cooling in, in your home in the summertime, you know, consider that. It doesn't have to be 70. It's, you know, it's, it's a personal choice, of course. But, uh, again, we're all part of the same cooperative here. So uh, it, it's really important that we all uh, consider uh, just taking those little steps. Every, every little bit helps. Yeah, I mean, in a community like this, it's we're all kind of working for each other most of the time anyway, so that's sure. kind of something else you can do. I fight with my dad about that because he <laughs> likes it at like 76, and I'm happy with 80. Yeah. So we try to make a, a compromise, and we hit 78, 79, you know, during the summer. Well, every and, couple uh, of degrees will save you some money, too. Yeah, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. You're, you're, there's a lot of difference in energy from each degree that you're trying to push the house to. Absolutely right. And, and, we, and sealing we, your house, I know, is another way to yes. keep heat and cool in, inside. Uh, uh, window caulking, um, you know, there, we we uh, we have uh, uh, temporary storm windows that, that we have at the co-op uh, for for the public. Uh, we also have uh, on our website we've got an energy guide that that has a lot more uh, suggestions and tips on on how to save money. That's great. So everyone remember that we're we're coming up on season where we're going to yep. be using a lot of power. Because um, I know a lot of us have in the winter it's a lot of wood stoves, and if you do have an electric heater, you know that that is. It costs a lot to run an electric heater, so <laughs> try to keep that in mind, too. You might want to mm-hmm. do a reasonable temperature rather than, you know, I right. can wear a T-shirt in the house. <laughs> so <laughs> just saying, just saying. Sure. <laughs> 
Um, and I know a lot of people are very curious about the solar panels mm-hmm. um, and that they went in and the point of them and whether eventually we'll be able to use those in a power outage. I've heard that so many times right. and people seem to still be kind of confused about that. And I know that that's an eventual goal, but the whole point in the beginning was? Well, we in California, we have a lot of energy issues and try to keep that very basic but uh, <laughs> uh, we have a very aggressive uh, it's called a renewable portfolio standard that all electric utilities uh, have to follow so we're we're trying to to keep in step with the legislative reg- and, and regulatory uh, rules that, w- that we have to follow additionally um, in the last six to eight years really uh, the price of, of solar-generated energy has come down very dramatically. It used to be pretty expensive uh, several years back. Um, but, uh, again, as a result of a lot of the regulation and, uh, and, and fees and, and whatnot that are imposed on uh, uh, fossil fuel-generated uh, energy, it became cost-effective for us to have uh, some on-system uh, renewable generation. Additionally, we had uh, our import uh, restrictions, uh, uh, our, our capacity issues that I mentioned earlier. So this helps with that. Um, so it's 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 grid interactive. What that means, very basically, is it needs to see uh, an active voltage on the grid for it to function. So in the in the case of an outage, it, it by necessity needs to close down. Electricity is a really funny thing. You have to use it exactly as it's being generated you know it moves through the wires at the speed of light which is quite fast and uh, there's always a balancing act between supply and demand and uh, the generators on the system can't control the load so without getting too technical uh, you you can't put electricity in a box very easily and then use it later unless that box happens to be called a battery so that's that's going to be our next step that we're uh, we're looking at right now. Uh, we're investigating a second phase of solar along with some storage, and we'll be able to we hope uh, be able to um, not only have a limited amount of energy uh, in in the uh, uh, in the battery system to control our peaks, but we'll also be able to uh, supply. Uh, at least one or two circuits at a time uh, in the event of an extended outage. So that's that's the goal, and we're hoping to have that done within the next couple of years. That'd be wonderful. Cause I, and I just I know I, I brought that up because I've heard that question on multiple occasions, oh, sure. and and I think people don't have a great grasp of solar and storage, and that mm-hmm. has been I know in just the inventing and dealing with solar power, that's been the struggle that they've always had is trying to figure out how to store that energy once it's created and saved right. from the sun. So, exactly right. And, and that's one of the things that even I don't think I understood when you guys were first doing the solar was that it's really just to control and keep that even amount of energy running. And it wasn't necessarily as like a backup or, or added power. It's more a control right. of the system, right? Right. Well, and and then uh, again, the the financial aspect of it. It's become more and more costly uh, to utilize traditional generation sources like coal and natural gas in California. So um, our solar uh, facility there, uh, two megawatts uh, output AC output. Uh, is is actually cheaper than importing from out of state now. So, uh, that being said, there are technical limits to what uh, how much we can put on the system too, uh, because solar is is a 
it's an unpredictable resource uh, within reason today for example some clouds the the voltage and, and current supply will go up and down with the, with the cloud cover so uh, we, you still have to have some very base uh, resources behind it so it's um, it's a maturing technology even though it's been around for a long time well, I'm glad that the co-op decided to jump in on that. And I think, weren't you guys, you were trying to get ahead of that, too, because the regulations weren't necessarily, like, today, but it was something that you right. guys wanted to get on top of and get ahead of so yeah, that, the, you know, you were ready to comply. Correct. The, re- the renewable resources uh, requirements are, are an escalating uh, target uh, beginning, well, it began in 2012, actually. Uh, but there's there's milestone targets 2020 2030 and and more legislation to come eventually uh, we fully expect to see a hundred percent renewable standard in California Hawaii already has one um, oh I didn't know that that's yeah that's, it's uh, makes sense for Hawaii though I mean out there in the middle by themselves yeah, so. that's, that's very true well thank you Kevin I think we got a lot of really in, uh, good information today and um, if anybody has any questions they can always call the co-op for more information and the website is www.anzaelectric.org and uh, thank you for coming in today right. Kevin thank you very much <laughs>